Well, it's good to be back, uh, and I had a nice uh, vacation there for a little bit. Uh, it was nice for Mike and and Russ to fill in for me, and and Chris on Sunday morning. Uh, we want to I want to thank them for doing so, and uh, we're back. And uh, good to see everybody here today. Sometimes people come in on uh, Christmas Eve, or if church is on Christmas Day, and they think that there's something odd about us. Uh, because you don't see Christmas trees and wreaths and things of that nature de- decorating the building. And uh, on occasions, I've had people ask, you must be really busy this time of year. Well, no, we're not any more busy this time of year doing the Lord's work than we are any other uh, month of the year. The reason why we don't have those things is because there's no command or example in the New Testament that shows us that we are to celebrate the birth of Christ. But we realize that that's an important event. But the Bible does remind us that the important thing is the symbol to remember His death. And we remember His death on the cross. Why? Because that's what brought our salvation. The birth of Jesus is an important event. And I think that you can see many miraculous things that took place uh, because uh, to show that there was something different about that child that was born. I know when our children were born, angels didn't announce his birth, their birth. Uh, they weren't laid in a manger. Uh, there's a lot of things that there were different about Jesus than about all the rest of us. And it shows us that He is divinity, that He is a God, that He is the Son of God. And that's something that we need to remember every day of our life. But because He came to this earth, He did come to this earth for a purpose. And one of the things that we realize that Jesus came to this earth to do was to bring peace to this earth. The angel said in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the instant increase of his government, and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David." and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Those are proclamations that were made before and at the birth of Jesus. And they echo what Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us, that but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law, as it says in verses four, or verse 4 of Galatians chapter 4. He was sent forth. He was born to bring us peace. And that may be hard to believe when we look at the world that we live in. It seems that the world is totally absent of peace. In fact, I read somewhere, according to the Canadian Army Journal, that since the year 36 B.C., there have been over 14,531 wars. That of all that time, there was only 292 years where there was an absence of some type of war. 
That doesn't sound like peace. But the angel said, peace on earth. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I believe that Jesus knew things were going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, and verse 7, He says, For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. He told His disciples in John chapter 16, and verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in Me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. As long as we live in this world, there's going to be wars and there's going to be conflicts. As long as we live in this world, there's going to be troubles and there's going to be heartaches. And as long as we live in this world, there's going to be sin. And when we have sin, there's a lot of bad things that happen in our world. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is promising. Jesus wasn't promising to give us peace that was based on our circumstances. He was promising a peace in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the wars and the conflicts, in spite of the heartache and troubles that we face. You see, a lot of people aren't content and they don't have peace unless their circumstances are just what they want to happen in their life. As long as everything's going well, we can be at peace. But the minute there's a problem, that peace disappears. Well, is that the kind of peace that God wants us to have? Is that the kind of peace that Jesus came to this earth to bring about? You see, some people are not at peace unless they have the right relationships going on in their lives. They're not at peace unless they find the right kind of job that makes enough money and does all the good things that they need in life, and it's an easy job. Some people are not at peace unless they find the right retirement package or the right kind of political parties in place doing what they agree with. There's no peace if the other party's in power. Why? Because their circumstances dictate their peace. Many years ago, before Christmas, a reporter named Lee, who worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an atheist, had written an article about a family called the Gadados. There was a grandmother, and there was two grandchildren that lived in that house, Jenny, age 13, and her sister Lydia, age 11. They lived on the west side of Chicago in a two-room apartment with bare walls, no furniture, no rugs, and barely a little bit of food in the cupboard to satisfy their needs. The girls had one short sleeve dress for each one of them, plus one thin gray sweater that they would share. When they went to school, one would wear that sweater halfway to school, and then take it off and give it to the other girl to wear the rest of the way to school because that's all they had. The grandma wanted more for her granddaughters and would have gladly worked but suffered from severe arthritis and the age made it hard for her to work. The article that the reporter wrote detailed their poverty in great detail in the article that he wrote. 
And a few days after he had wrote that article, he visited the Galdados again. And his article had touched the hearts of many different people in that area of subscribers. <clears throat> and when he went back, he found furniture, appliances, rugs, coats, dozens of coats, and scarves, and gloves. The girls wouldn't have to share a sweater any longer. There was carton after carton and box after box of food everywhere. They had so much food that their cupboards and closets couldn't contain it, couldn't hold it all. Someone had donated a Christmas tree, and under that tree were mounds of presents and thousands of dollars in cash. But what astonished that reporter the most was what he found his, the grandma and the grandmothers, or granddaughters doing. They were preparing to give most of it away. And he said, why would you give so much of it away? And the grandmother responded, our neighbors still have needs. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. That's what Jesus would want us to do. And then he asked the grandmother what she thought about the generosity that was shown to them. And this was her reply. It's wonderful. We did nothing to deserve this. It's all a gift from God. But it's not the greatest gift. No, we celebrate that Christ came to this earth. That reporter left that place of where they lived and he was speechless. And as he drove back to the office, he began to reflect on a few things. First, he realized, he said, I have plenty. But along with that, I have plenty of anxiety. By contrast, the Gadados, despite their poverty, they were at peace. Second, he said he had everything and yet wanted more. And this family had nothing, and yet they were very generous. And third, even though he had so much more than that family, he longed for what they had. Peace. The journalist was a self-proclaimed atheist. By the example that they set, it led him to believe in God and give up his atheistic beliefs. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, <clears throat> neither let it be afraid. That grandma and her two granddaughters, they had that peace. That reporter did not. And so I asked this morning, what made the difference? First, that poor family no matter what their circumstances was, God was there with them. And that's what they realized. And that's what we should realize, that God's with us. You see, hundreds of years before Jesus even came to this earth, in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 14, Isaiah prophesied, and I believe it was about 750 years before Christ came, it says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? Well, the Bible tells us what Emmanuel means. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 27, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus came to this earth for a reason. He came to this earth to bring peace to those who had troubled hearts. And sin causes trouble in our lives, and we need Christ. And so God was declaring that His Son was coming down from heaven in order to be there with us. Jesus even tells us that where two or three are gathered together in His name, there He is in their midst. And so He's here with us. And when we go home, we don't leave Him behind. He's with us again. We're not alone in this world. You remember the promise that was made and repeated in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 where it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's where we get our peace. Realizing that we're never alone. That people may forsake us, people may abandon us, we may feel that we're all alone, but God's there with us. He's promised us that. He will never leave us. And our peace comes from that fact that we don't have to face life alone. Because of Jesus, we belong to God, and He will take care of us. Back in the Old Testament, think about what happened when God was talking to Moses and telling him that He wanted to go and confront Pharaoh. And Moses asked God, he said, when they ask who sent me and your name, what am I to say? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God gives the reply. He tells him what he's supposed to say. He says, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So what's God saying? God says, I am. And then later over in the New Testament, we can see where Jesus is being confronted. Then what does he answer? Before Abraham, I am. Same answer, I am. And when you think about that, he could have easily said, I am peace, I am glory, I am grace, I am joy, I am security, I'm safety, I'm shelter, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I am, I am everything. That's what Jesus could have said. That's what God could have said. And that's where we get our peace. When we realize that God's with us and God is all of those things. You see, the Son of God came down from heaven to become Emmanuel, God with us. And one person put it this way, peace is not having the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Having God in your life, when you're living right with God, that brings peace to our lives. Second, when we look at this poor, this poor family, they knew that Jesus held their future. As I was working on this sermon, I thought about John chapter 16. Beginning at verse 27, it says, For the Father Himself loveth you, because He hath loved Me, and hath believed that I am come out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I come into this world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and now come, that ye shall be scattered, 
every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now think about what Jesus just said. Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave. And you're going to be scattered. You're going to go wherever you want to go, but you're going to be scattered. Now how is that a message of peace? Now He said, these things I've told you, that you might have peace. So how would that bring about peace in their life? He had told them what would happen to him. He was leaving this world. What would happen to them? He told them what they were going to do also. And why would knowing those two things cause them to have peace? Do you know why? Because by telling them this, He was declaring that He knew His future and He knew their future. Isn't that comforting to know that God knows what's going to happen to you? That God's going to take care of you no matter what? That's where peace lies. You see, Jesus knows what's ahead. God knows what's ahead. And because they know those things, what lies ahead because the disciples were told what was going to happen and they knew that they knew who held the future they knew who held tomorrow and that's why that poor family wasn't worried about giving away what they had received the only thing that concerned them was this is what Jesus would want me to do that's what Jesus would want us to do because they believed God. And they believed that God would take care of them. Do we have that same kind of confidence in God ourselves? Lastly, that poor family had peace because they believed in a God who could do things. Do you remember their reply to the reporter? They said, We did nothing to deserve this. This all is a gift from God. They believed in a God who did things. Do we believe in a God who can do things? Everything from the angels declaring the birth of the shepherd to the shepherds to the star that led the wise men to Jesus years later to the birth of Jesus in a manger and a miraculous birth to a virgin-born child. God does all of those things and did all of those things. And they were not normal events. These were not run-of-the-mill occasions. Because Galatians chapter 4 tells us when the fullness of time was come, or had come, God did something. He sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, because by that one action, by sending His only begotten Son, by that one action, God was able to do 
a lot of things. We can have the forgiveness of sin. We can have a promise of a relationship with God. We can have the promise of knowing that our prayers will be answered. We can have a promise of knowing that there's a place prepared for us. That Jesus said that He had gone to prepare. And there's so many other things that we can have. Part of that peace is what God does for us. And what He expects out of our lives. One of the most powerful images in Scripture, I think, is the contrast that we see from when God created this world to the time where He sent His Son to this world. We can read in Genesis chapter 1 of how God spoke and things were done. He created the heavens and the earth. We can see He created the trees and the flowers. We can see that He created the animals. And then we see that He created man and woman. And at the conclusion of it, he said it was very good. And when you look over in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 3, listen to what David says about that creation. He says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? Did you notice what he said there? He said that when God created the world, that that was the work of his fingers. In other words, it sounds like it wasn't something that was real complicated for God to do. You might look at it as like finger painting, you know, just making up and doing the world. That's just how He wants it created. But when you contrast that with what Isaiah tells us that God did concerning salvation, listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 52 verse 10. The Lord hath made bare His holy arms in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now maybe that doesn't sound like much to you. But there are times where all of us can work with our fingers, but then there's a time when there's work that needs to be done where we're going to roll up our sleeves to do that work because it's a bigger job. It's a tougher job. And that's what God or Isaiah is saying here with God concerning salvation with God. He bared His arm. It wasn't finger work. This was determination. He knew that there was going to be a battle. He knew that the devil was going to try to stop it at every step that he could take. And he would take every occasion to try to defeat Jesus. We see that when Herod wanted to kill all the children trying to kill Jesus. We can see there in the wilderness when he was being tempted of Satan. Satan wanted to turn him against God. And we can see it on many occasions in the life of Jesus where people were coming to him, tempting him, trying to trick him up, get him to say and do something that he shouldn't say or do. God bared his arms. When the fullness of time was come, God rolled up His sleeves to bear His arm and He went to work. And maybe that's what that poor family understood. When asked about the gifts that they had received, that grandmother said, we did nothing to deserve this. It's all a gift from God. But it's not His greatest gift. No, we celebrate that some other time. When Jesus sent His Son to this earth, He declared that this was His gift. And because He came to this earth, 
We can have the gift of eternal life. It's free. We don't have to earn it. We can't buy it. Jesus paid the price for us, but we have to accept it. In God's grace, He sends that message, gives us that message, that Gospel call, that the good news is that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose victorious over the grave. Do you notice the important event of Christ's life? It wasn't so much His birth. It was what He did on the cross. Because He came into this world to save His people from their sin. But He died on the cross so that we could be saved from our sin. And that's why we celebrate that every Lord's Day as we assemble around the table. We see in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 where they came together upon the first day of the week to break bread. They came together for that purpose. And we know from other passages of Scripture that when we do that, that we are to remember His death for as long as until He returns. And so that's the important point. You said Jesus came to this earth, but it wasn't the birth. They were in the manger and all of that. That was just to show that He was the Messiah. What's important is that He died on that cross. And that was the greatest gift that could ever be given. And that was His Son, Jesus, God's Son on the cross, His only begotten Son. And that took place as Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. When Jesus came into this world, that shows us that God was with us and is with us. It shows us that God knows our future. And God can and do many great things in our lives. We don't expect miracles, but we do know that God is working in our lives. And we're thankful for that He watches over us. We're thankful for the fact that He cares about us, He loves us, and He will not forsake us. Sometimes we forsake Him. As I mentioned in Bible class this morning, when I pray to God, most quite often I, I thank Him for being so good to me. And I tell Him I'm not so good to Him. Because many times we're not, we fail. We come short of His glory. We come short of what He wants us to live and do, how He wants us to show His life in our lives. And sometimes we fall short of that. Jesus knows that. He's not going to forsake us. He'll help us. But we can turn away from Him. And some have turned away from Him. And some are in that that struggle now where they're tempted to give up on God. Don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. It's a precious sacrifice that was made. God can help us if we'll trust His Word. But in order to trust His Word, we have to know that Word. And that's why He wants us to study it and to meditate on it and put it in our lives and put it into action in our lives. You know, I know of atheists who can quote the Bible. They still don't believe it. And sometimes Christians can quote the Bible, but they don't believe it. You see, it's important that we believe what we hear in God's Word and put it into, our, into action in our lives. So the question is, do you have the peace that our Lord came to this earth to deliver to you? Because if you're absence of that peace, then there's something wrong in your life that you need to change. You need to look at your life. Because Jesus loves us and cares about us. God loves us so much that He offered His Son on the cross so that you could have the forgiveness of sin. How do you retain that? Well, Jesus tells us very simply, 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do I need to believe? I need to believe that He came to this earth and that He died for our sins and that He was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave. It's not enough just to say, go down in that water and come up and say, yeah, I was baptized. We need to do it for the right reason, for the right purpose, to be added to the right body of Christ. Because there's only one body of Christ. And if you haven't done that today, you can make that commitment to our Lord by coming forward and we'll baptize you into Christ if that's what you need. Maybe you haven't had the peace that God makes possible for all of us to have. And if that's missing in your life, you need to look at your heart, look at your life, examine it. And if there's changes that you need to make personally, then do those things. But if you need our help, we're here to help you in any way that we can. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.